Hello everyone, I'm Terry Goose Downing, and I'm going to play a song for you now called Cigar Box Blues, a very tongue-in-cheek, wonderful little ditty that I just worked up just a few weeks ago. Mama liked to make some cornbread, Daddy liked to make moonshine, and I was going to make a little music. Welcome to the Poptimus Podcast, and today we have Terry Goose Downing. Goose, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. So you got a new album that you've been working on, is that correct? That's right. With Patio Daddio. Yes. Will you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, some of the songs, uh, for years we ran a group called Delicious Blues Stew, mm -hmm. and so we would write on the way to um, gigs, and we just found out that we had a rhythm not only at playing together, but at finishing songs and great ideas. And the span went for about almost 20 years that we were playing together. So then we had done some existing tracks that we could never all agree on as a band, which happens. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we all kind of just let it set there, uh, the last tracks. And since I had my CD out, Blues World, um, of all the original songs that I had written and done, then I wanted a follow-up to that. So while I am working on a follow-up CD to that, 
I thought, and I've been playing with Patio on Wednesdays at Papa Tony's yes, Barbecue. Yes, yes. So we had talked about it. We, I didn't want to call it uh, Three Bean Soup, which is what the, the name that they use at Papa Tony's. I didn't yeah. want to call it Delicious Blues too. So I went very basic. I just went Goose and Patio, and they're all songs that we wrote together uh, during our time there. And he is, he's the vocalist. And to me, he was always the lead vocalist of Delicious Blues Stew. Yeah. And, um, and I sing the third. <laughs> he's a genius when it comes to music theory. Oh, yeah, you know, it just flows out of him. It's, yeah. It's always amazed me, and he's wonderful to write with. He's very clever, you know, so. But there's some really good songs on it. Yes. And we're going to push it all over the place. I'm just going to send it out. It's going to be on everything. When is, uh, when is it supposed to be released? Do you have uh, a date yet? We'll have, the, we'll have the hard copies in our hands, and then I'm going to get with a guy about maybe pushing it on this thing called Airplay Direct. Uh-huh. And, um where they get it to radio stations. But I'll have it in about two weeks. But it is all done. Everything's got the publishing, got everything Mixed and mastered? Mixed and mastered. It's out the door. So what was the process like from start to finish of doing this? So from the very first moment you started writing it until the publishing, what, what is the process like? I've never had to do that before. Um, well, there's the quick ones and then the really slow ones. If I tell you about the slow one on this one... It would be, um, yeah, I'll, I'll describe the band thing. That's the yeah. best thing. When okay. Because we're all blue-collar musicians here. Yes. You know. And that's what I love. I, I know. And it makes you a better player. Yeah. But during that time period, we all grew as a band. And so it was influences from Louisiana and from Texas and from North Carolina. And, um, and I've been playing country, backing up guys. And so I had a very Nashville sense of context on how to be in a band. They had a very um, almost a jam band mentality, and when we hit very loose, right? But when very I hit, tight. I hit that. It all of a sudden I enjoyed rhythm guitar like never before. Um, also worked with a guitarist who came out last night. He tours around the country, Brian Pacino, and he taught me a lot because there for a while we were both in the band about um, slide and uh, distortion and guitar and. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so in a band, we would write it on the way to, uh, like on a way to a gig, and get the concept down. And then, since it's the bass player, which is the key, and we had a gr- we had just great drummers, then we know it. Yeah. Uh, the other piece was the other two pieces were percussion and harmonica. So we would just get the harmonica player. Okay, this is what we're gonna do. It's we, in this key. Right. We and then already, the drummer just. Well, it, he beats on whatever he we wants. We would auto-correct, yeah. too. I yeah. mean, um, there's uh, the first, the name of the CD is uh, is called Oh Matilda. We decided to give it a title, so it says Goose and Patio, Oh Matilda. Uh, James Nick Nixon, who sadly recently passed Rest away. Rest in peace, R.I.P. He does this big vocal opening to this song that is beautiful. And so in this process of the newest one, that's what actually got it started. Uh, Tom Del Rossi, who engineers with me, he heard, oh, Matilda, I said, you got to hear this, this is something we did, and since Nick passed, well, it's, it was incredible, even if I am a co-writer on it, it was just incredible, and so that started the process, because that was on, that was on the CD that got left behind 10 or 11 years ago, already mixed, already mastered, so I went, okay, well, that's easy, then I went back and got some of the early stuff that we did, the first song that we ever wrote, we, had, we were on a Bourbon Street Blues and Boogie Bar compilation CD years ago. 
uh, with this first song we wrote called I Got Trouble. So I dialed that up. And so then I thought, okay, this is it. It's not, it's not going to be Delicious Blue Stew. We're going to view it from a songwriter perspective. And plus, it's my friend Patio. You know, um, I want him to have something that he can give to anybody he wants to. And, um, and I want people to know just how great he is. And He's fantastic. Oh, yeah, you've heard him. <laughs> yeah, I've heard him a lot, yeah. 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 So that's what got it started. And uh, so then Tommy uh, helped me with uh, just getting it, everything lined up. Uh, most we did on iMovie. And then uh, once you get the concepts down, then you go to Disc Makers and CD Baby and, and did all that. And, um, and it took us about a week. You know, we're both real busy, but we just kept, we would have Tommy Tuesdays. So yeah. we'd always work on Tuesday and, uh, and you know, kind of navigate on how to get it out and uh, get it played. And also, too, we'll put up a display at Pop Attorneys uh, so that people can purchase it there. That's awesome. Yeah, so, but some of the happiest songs, I mean, we wrote happy songs, yeah. fun songs, and uh, where I tend to be a little darker sometimes when I write. <laughs> <laughs> well, my favorite thing about the way that you guys play together is how breezy everything sounds. That's the way I would describe your sound when you and Don and Patio play together. It's, it's breezy. Yeah, it just flows. We think alike. We think alike inside the pocket from years of... Because you do, you set up a form of how the song's going to go. But one thing I definitely took from him and, um, and the rest of the Stew Boys is that you get that form, but then you work within the form. And then... Um, That's very jam band. Yeah, and you know what? Believe it or not, back then I hadn't even heard the term jam band. And, really? Um, and I came from uh, beach music and dance music back in North Carolina and some country rock. Yeah. Uh, but you would structure it. You would rehearse it. You would structure it. Uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, right, chorus. Right, Yeah, keep your solo short. Yeah. Well, that all went out the window with Delicious Blues Stew. And still, <laughs> and still to this yeah. day, when you hear us uh, with Three Bean Soup on Wednesday night. Expands and contracts. Exactly. And you sense it. And, and I, I have a great, I'll, I'll tell briefly a great story about Patio Daddy. We're playing a Mardi Gras celebration down at Bourbon Street in Prater's Alley. It's raging, it's roaring, the place is packed. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah good, you know, and they're just going crazy. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a Roman Coliseum when you're yeah. in there, the yes. way that the stage is. And we've got, all every, we've got horn players, we've got tuba players, we've got, I'm, I'm squeezed all the way to the end of the stage, like right when you walk in, and he's next to me. Well, that at that time period, he had gotten a wireless. And so... It's just raging, and we're playing this something in a, uh, I think like Congo Square or something, and I had my back, and I'm looking at the crowd, and we do, in the middle of a jam, we do a descending run all the way down from the top right up here, you know, boom, 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 you know, yeah. we do this ascending, descending run all the way down, works it all the way down, and I turn around to laugh at him, and he is like 20 feet away with his back to me on the dance floor dancing with people. And I went, well, you guys have a connection, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we just did it. You and felt each other. Yeah, you, we just sensed where we're going to go in the pocket. And um, the other thing that you learn, too, in jam band is how to autocorrect quickly. You, you instantly can feel if something's not going to work right there. Yeah. So you switch. It finds its legs. It finds its way. And also, too, you're in, you're in tune with the musicians that are with you. So if they go, if they kind of turn to the left, you go to the left, yeah. and then you're, you know, it's always finding that track 
where everything comes together and becomes like one thing? I would say uh, the past six months or so, my obsession has really been that metaphysical quality in music that you can't really explain. That's beautiful. Because in my life, anytime I've had like a real time where I was like down in the dumps, not feeling very good, it was hard to, to open up and let that shine through in terms of even songwriting or anything like that. But it's those moments when you finally hit it that makes it so magical and so special. And you can't really explain it other than it just kind of happens. I've In my time here, I've come to think of it from, uh, from being mechanical to being magical to being spiritual. There's, if, especially if you stay in it. And that is a beautiful thing about a music town is that you're constantly being um, sort of uh, lifted up again and again. And, and music is it's one of those things that it really is this spiritual art. We, when we play, we are pushing an emotion out into the crowd. Um, and so you're affecting people. Um, I had to move away for two years. Uh, my wife took a big job and she wanted to do it, so I went to East Tennessee. I wouldn't get out. I was very depressed. Um, finally, I, I hooked up with a really good singer, Doug Harris. And so we went from doing duos to doing a band. And sure enough, that band gets booked up and then, you know, we come back here. My back wife, to Nashville. Yeah, yeah. All roads lead to Nashville. I learned a lot um, there because I would play angry and people would love it. They were treating me like I was Eric Clapton. And so I saw both sides of it. I saw, one, I didn't like being treated like Eric Clapton because I'm used to being one of the many here. Yeah. Uh, then I saw the other side of it. Let people love you. You know, if they love you, let them because you are affecting them. And so when I came back, I had a completely different attitude about electric guitar and how to play it and when to light it up, when to let it be. Um, slow down. Play some pretty stuff. Play, um, don't play like everybody else doing the blues. Yes. Find your, it sounds like you found your own, uh, your own character. Exactly. And playing. And I think that's what makes a great player is what their character is. And that's why you should grow in music. You know, it doesn't matter if you do 15 other side jobs. If you love music and you are surrounded by people that love music, they've got a story just like yours. You know, and so uh, when I first got here, um, I would look at people um, 10 years, 20 years ahead of me. I liked the ones that were happy. Even, even if they... Totally. Even, even if they're living out in the country and they're, they, don't, they haven't made the big, you know, I don't know, a gazillion dollar payday, yeah. they're happy. And so, um, and then I would see the ones that had had their time period in the 70s or 80s. Oh, and were, yeah. And they're bitter and not playing. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, no matter what happens, uh, down the road, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to surround myself with people that are happy. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds simple. But no, it, it is a, it's an attitude thing here. When you look at it as magical and spiritual, if you look at it that way, yeah, money's important, financial security is important, but nothing's more important than the art. Yeah, yeah, I think that's why I, I really gravitated. Like Last summer is when I started coming out to Papa T's a lot. I was there pretty much every Wednesday, and mm -hmm. 
-hmm. frequently now I'm pretty much there every Wednesday and it's because the way you guys run the jam you're all really nice people good human (laughs) beings you love the art Papa T definitely he's like a a student a scholar of music the same way that the three of you are and it just is an environment that fosters growth and it's like anytime I noticed if there was like someone who was kind of an a-hole that came I didn't see them again (laughs) they would come one time and they wouldn't come back if they came in their attitude was stinking it's just like you you guys put this energy out there and you've always been really nice to the younger players like myself who are trying to come in and learn. You always make sure I have a spot yes. and uh, I really appreciate it. You know, you guys are what I relate to the most, which is the, the blue collar working class musicians, which I feel is what Nashville's back is built on. It, it absolutely is. Yeah. So, I mean, it, Papa T's is a, a special place to me. Um, and of course, the the shredded uh, the shredded chicken is also delicious. <laughs> yeah. The food is amazing. The baked beans, the mac and cheese. Yeah, the rib sandwich. The rib sandwich. Everything there is delicious. Yeah. And it, it's it's uh, I'm always gonna look back at these times and seeing you guys play. And it's always gonna be very special to me. Well, that means a lot to me. Because I felt like it, you guys lead by example, and you wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't ask anybody to do anything that you wouldn't do yourself. Exactly. And I, I feel like that's where the working class, because I, I feel like all of us are artists in our own way. We all, there's all these funky, weird, cool people, but then there are artistes. Right. Like the artiste is like someone who comes in like the people that you were talking about who had their heyday and now they're kind of bitter and they're mad that it passed and right. they want to take it out on everybody. And like, I treat everybody kind of the same and I'm, I'm nice and I try and just be pleasant and and those people are out there too. There's people that uh, that maybe had their heyday, maybe worked on the opera with somebody big, but that didn't have to define them. They still get out. They still play. They still have the same yes. Roy Orbison's drummer was there Wednesday night. Yeah. One of the nicest people in the world. And he played this Buddy Rich kind of style that was but he played it so good that yeah. you just you could tell you were a pro. And um I'm not sure how old he was, but he just had this smile on his face. You can face. always spot the pros. Yeah. I mean, a mile away. second how he hit the snare. Yeah. You know, uh, and Doug Siebert, uh, bass player, he was playing, and we both were just looking at each other like, <laughs> whoa, now. We got something here. But once again, he uh, he had been doing a, like some kind of a Broadway production or something and um, hadn't been going out to jams. And I think Don had invited him, and he said he, he continued to come out. He had he left with a big smile on his face. Um, Vinny, Vinny, some Vinny D, I believe was his name. That's that's what's so great about about your guys's jam. It's just so breezy. That's the best way to describe it. It's just <laughs> right. breezy. And it's Don, just right there on the lake. And Don Kendrick, he knows all. He knows these uh, the he knows these cats, you know, that and knows what they did. And so yeah, we'll we'll get uh, who was it uh, Charlie that comes out all. Charlie's time. incredible. Oh, who was it he was with? One uh, of the Oak Ridge boys. I'll think of it in a second. But yeah, he's got long history, I mean. And, Shout uh, out to Charlie Wood. Yeah, he's a, and there's another great smiling, happy yes, guy. Yes, always pleasant. Loves to play. Loves to play, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's what I love. It's like, It really feels like your guys' jam is like the blue-collar jam. That is it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't make it's, no bones about it. Yeah, that. everybody just wants to come in, and they, they are there 100% for the music and to play. Mm-hmm. And that's 
And I always feel so appreciative of just anybody who's willing to give me a spot to express <laughs> myself. You know what I mean? Like that, that's what it is. It's like the, the chance to just express myself. And I remember when I first moved to town, you know, I, I don't know if it was like this. How long have you been in Nashville for now? Uh, let's see, 91. Okay, that was yeah. the year I was born. <laughs> <laughs> so 26 years you've been in town now. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I first came to town, I went from being a big fish in a uh, small pond to being a small fish in a very, very big pond. Correct. An ocean. And that happens to all yes. of us. Yes. And it just, it kicks your ass. I remember the first time I went to... Um, the first jam I played at was because of Dale Hunter. Shout out to Dale Hunter. Yeah, Dale. We worked together at this, um, at a job. I won't name the company. Okay. <laughs> um, it was a day job. And uh, Dale told me that I, I didn't know how to play music in Nashville. It was still, I was here for like nine months or so. I didn't know where to start. Yeah, or Dale's what to a do. veteran too. He is. Yes, yeah, he is. Yeah, I go way back. And he said, come out on Tuesday night to the country. Uh-huh. Back when it was the country. And I think that's where I first met you at also. Yeah. But my first night there... You know, I, of course, played 12-bar blues before, and I know how to do all of that, but that first time I was supposed to do a walk-up, it was like, holy <laughs> shit. I was not expecting the players to be that hot, because you get Nashville hot when you're playing out at those jams. Oh, yes, yes. So it's just like someone has to grab you by the shirt collar and say, let's go. It throws you right in it, and then you're like, okay, next week I have to practice this, 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 I have to get ready. Exactly. You're describing my early days. Yeah. It hasn't changed. Yeah. Uh, I... Uh, I was in radio for years, and so it turns out, and I worked for a, a, a big country station, so I would know the harmonies from having it pumped in my head and singing along with it, you know, just off mic. Um, but I didn't know the guitar signature legs. Yeah. So there was this former big country star, and it was down in the alley. It was a country place down there. And they want to do Working Man Blues by um, Merle, Merle Haggard. Haggard. Great song. Okay, so everything they call it out. Um, he's up on stage. I know who he is from my days in radio, so I'm nervous about that. And nothing happens. There, and then I look over, and they're all just staring at me. Well, there's oh, a pickup click to Working Man worst, Blues. The worst feeling in the world when everybody is staring at you on and stage. And everybody, little kids know that lick. Yeah. And, uh, and so, <laughs> I just, you know, so welcome to Nashville. And, yeah. Uh, sure enough, I went home and I had the 45, believe it or not. I dug out the 45 and went, that's why they were staring at you. You know, so, so that was one of many, many lessons I learned early. Um, but then... Once again, you do every job available known to man, um, and just so you can play. And then you, it's all about referrals. And ironically, a lot, it's rhythm sections that have always got me to work. Bass players, drummers. And so, I just, what it does to it feeds into itself. Um, I know there's been several times that if I had a great night playing guitar, I would come right home and start practicing. Yes, you got it's like you just had a, a great workout and you're warmed up now. Yeah, if I can be that good, well then how good can I really be? Yeah. It's just like it feeds into itself. And um, and once that happens, you just, you know, you just keep your, you know, to keep going forward and, and, and just keep playing. And once again, surround yourself with people that are like that. And, and then just enjoy it. Enjoy this town. Enjoy it. If you're in a music town, no matter what town, 
You know, if you're around people or if you're in a small community where you've got friends of yours that play together, um, to me that's great because you've got a constant rehearsal thing that you can do with other people, which makes you better. Yes. And, um, you know, and I love music. I'm, I'm so happy I'm here and I've been really fired up about writing again. So, and then as you, as you continue to write, uh, and you grow, and now let's see, my daughter's 23, so being a parent, uh, that changed the way you look at things um, on a global aspect. And so, then you write deeper. Um, and then you find other people. Um, I've got uh, some of the young talent that comes out to the country. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to do some co-writing with that. So, you get, in, and they've been influenced by... Uh, parents around my age or even grandparents around my age. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they've listened to some really, really wonderful things and they are, you know, your generation has got energy and it's got technology and, um, and I've never worried about that. I would, I would always hear, oh, it's going to be different. Well, you know, they said that about us and the whole thing is that it grows. Music will never die. Um, there's certain genres that I don't think will ever die. Um, it morphs. It morphs into uh, into all kinds of stuff, and and uh, uh, recently on the um, the Roots Radio, I'm hearing stuff, you know, because I've got a producer's mind too. Yeah. And I'll hear stuff where you'll hear um, a looped drums, but with acoustic instruments. Yeah. You'll hear electronic things with natural things. Yeah. And and the blending of the both worlds. Exactly, but done very well. Yeah. Done tastefully. Somebody who knew what they were doing. And then you wrap that into a good song with good lyrics and a good message or a, or a message. The art continues; it never it never ends. So that's all I got to say about that. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think what's funny today about music and kind of where we are is um, everyone. Even I feel a lot of people my age, they can be very like. They, they, it's almost like they were, they never had the chance to be a rock star in the seventies and they're upset about it. Like, <laughs> like we missed the mark the way that I, and I used to think that when I was like nineteen twenty, but now I really see it as we have this whole archive on the internet of every single kind of recorded music that you can imagine yeah, and it's yeah. at our fingertips and we can go back and pull from it and bring it into the modern era. And it, that's mind-blowing to me. It's limitless, I think, the possibilities of today. And especially with playing, too. Mm -hmm. Becoming a better player, you can look up, chances are, your favorite guitarist, your favorite drummer, your favorite bass player, giving a lesson online, explaining how they do what they, they do. Because music, it's very, um, it's very, it, it's like, it's through tradition. Mm -hmm. You teach it, you pass it down from generation to generation. Exactly. And in doing so, there's always an element of the past, but because it's done through the eyes of, and hands and ears of a new player, it's brought into the future. That is, a, that is, uh, that is so good. Um, from a mixing standpoint, uh, I grew up with the Motown records. I don't remember the sound of Philadelphia. I mean, in the early... Because what was cool about it, I didn't plan on being a, a guitarist. I planned on being a radio guy. So... All these years later, it's wonderful to go back and try to figure out why you liked stuff. Yeah. So, um, I went through this phase really a lot uh, the last few years, but last year especially. And I thought, okay, 
because I'd been mixing and so my ears were real, you know, tuned up. And so I went back, I got the cleanup woman, Betty Wright. This is a song that was out when I was, I don't know, I don't know how old I was, but it was this cool little cleanup woman is a woman who, and um, Joan L. Mosser does it. There's a few people around that'll, that'll still do the song. It's old R&B. So I want to know, why did you love this song? Why would you love a song called Clean Up Woman? The recording. The recording was so cool. It has two guitars and uh, bass and drums. Yeah, that's all you need. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and even though it, and it's just, it is a sweet little story. Um, I got out the Stevie Wonder stuff, the early Stevie Wonder stuff. Oh, yeah. But then I hit, uh, I found my old Temptations. You know, I had the Temptations stuff. The Funk Brothers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That bass, that, that P bass that I play, totally because of Jamerson. Well, it was, it's all there. Yeah. I mean, it's all there on why you love it, how they put it together. Um, and by this time, I've read about the gear that they were using, um, where they would, you know, we're, we're so big in the studio about, you know, in-ear or, you know, our monitor system on what we hear. Well, they put, they basically ran everybody through one speaker and had the speaker mounted, so everybody was blended into one mono sound when they recorded. And they had to listen to each other. Isn't that great? They had to be tasteful players. Is that the sound of that dirt floor in Motown? <laughs> I know. That's where the magic comes from. Well, that's it. And, you know, with Isaac Hayes and, um, and those recordings, oh, the yeah. Stax recordings, Hell it was a yeah. theater. Um, and he's doing it just like they used to record orchestras. He, he hung microphones down from the ceiling. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So, you know, the rules are there are no rules exactly. It's just uh, one of the first things I read about home recording was to take the microphone on the stand and walk around with your headphones on until it sounds good. <laughs> yep. When you got the optimum sound, leave it there. Doesn't matter what, you know, uh, manual told you to do that, but... So we, we, hear, we hear those mixes being re re repeated. Um, um, so, you know, when Adele came out, um, the first thing I thought of was Motown. Um, Amy Winehouse, you know, her mixes... Phenomenal. Are, oh, I know. I still miss her um, a lot. I love that record, Back to Black. Uh, Mark Ronson is one of my all-time favorite producers. <sighs> He's great. I, uh, I heard that there is an alternate mix that he did that was more like early Beatles mixes, where the drums were panned all the way to the oh, right, bass panned all the way to the left. Just I, I hope one day that they'll release him because I would love to hear his mixes for songs like Rehab oh or songs like uh, ba even Back to Black or um, You Know I'm No Good. Those drums in the beginning and the way that that bass is, uh, they were just panned all the way. All the way. Guitar over there, <laughs> drums over there, keys over there, I, horns one section. I would love to hear that. I don't know if we'll ever release them, but... Well, I love hard panning. I still do it every Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just sets it up. The, bit, the better the system, the better it sounds. Well, it's weird to think about today the way that things are mixed because almost like everything on the radio, it's like they have a very generic stamp. And there's a few people that stick out to me that do really different mixes, like Chad Blake. I'm a huge fan of him. He's phenomenal. Um... And there's, there's a couple other, I feel like, mixers that are, that are great, but the reason that those records pop so much is like bands like the Black Keys, Arctic Monkeys, oh, yeah. they all have these very particular sounds that they, they do, and they're actual, you know, I feel like they're the ones who are carrying on the flame, passing the torch down, yes. all of that, but 
they sound so radically different from everything else because of the way that they sonically are. The Black Keys, they blew up um, with their 2010 record, Brothers. I think that was like their fifth album. <laughs> they, they had just been playing as a duo. That's when they added like bass and drums and all that. But the way that they had mixed it, it was more like a hip-hop album with blues guitar over it. Right. So, so that, that's like genius. From If you want to talk about music business... Give the people something new, right? Exactly. And it's gonna destroy. It's gonna destroy what, what's ever out there. And Adele, that was the reason why she did, or Amy Winehouse, why they came out, because a they were artists, they were unique, they were themselves, and b they came out radically different than everything else. So it was like Uptown Funk. Oh, when that came out, it was oh, because wow. it sounded hugely different. Bruno Mars, everything he does is different than everything else the way that the radio sounds right now. And see, and it works with the boomers. It works with my generation because we, we had Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah. You know, we had Chicago, early Chicago. We had, we just had some great R&B. Yeah. And so Bruno is amazing to me and everything works and he's using, he's using like from every decade. <laughs> yeah, he is, yeah, on one album. I know. Yeah, he'll go 70s, 80s, 90s, yes. and he'll, he'll cherry pick the best of the production and songwriting mm-hmm. from that area, era and make it himself because he is uniquely himself. And a great vocalist. And a great, excellent vocalist. He's, he's like, one day, I think 20 years from now, we're going to look back on him. I hope he lives to be Amazing. 97. And I, he's going to be seen as like the Michael Jackson of this generation. And he's going to be adored, loved. If he keeps going the way that he's going, he's probably still going to have 26-year-old girlfriends when he's 72. <laughs> but that record, 24 Karat Magic, um, when it came out, I remember first hearing that song, and there's another song on that album called Perm, which is like a James Brown-style tune. And he does the James Brown thing really good, too. He does it real good. And just like Prince, remember, he, he pulls from Prince as well. Yeah. You know, without the, without the weirdness. <laughs> yeah, without the weirdness, exactly. So, a changing gears, um, as far as coming to Nashville and being a player and kind of being one of the young guns out there, what advice would you give to those, those younger players? And what can they really do to set themselves up for success? As far as mindset is concerned, firstly, mm-hmm. and then action. Well, I'll cover I'll cover some things that uh, that I think I could have done better. Um, I would say number one is is define what you want. When I got here, since I didn't plan to be a musician in Nashville, I always wanted to come to Nashville to be a writer. But by the time I got here, I wanted to come earlier. The girlfriend I was dating did not want to. So after we break up, and I eventually get my way here, I had been playing guitar for a while. So then things had switched, and once I found out that I could play guitar here, and learn here, and grow as a guitar player, um, it pulled my focus off, and so then I kind of wish I'd been more prepared um, to be a guitar player. Yeah. Uh, and, And now I've been here long enough to have a little bit of regret that well, why didn't you just get a, some other kind of job and just be a songwriter? Because they have their own crowd, just like we do. Yeah, they've got there's a there's a, a scene for everything, right? There. And there's connections, there's people. It's a social thing, and then the talent too. And and Nashville's a very big co-writing town. So if someone has got maybe a cut on an album, but you're friends with them, they've got some cut. They've got a they've got a, a hook in the water to that publishing company. So you write with them, it feeds itself, it becomes its own thing. 
And um, I just focused on electric guitar. Once, once the delicious blues stew happened, then all of a sudden I'm in the blues world. And in the blues world, I was working. I mean, then all of a sudden I'm making more money, I'm getting more contacts. So I would say anybody out there, focus on what you want to do early. If you want to do soundtrack recordings, um, you know, this town is wide open for anything, but define what you like. Um, I found it's good to be an all-around musician, but if you have a genre of music that you like, focus on it. Um, yeah, you'll have to work harder at other jobs, um, whereas if you're versatile, you can probably do a whole lot of things. But, and the other thing is be social. It's a social town. Get out, uh, ditch the people that, that you think are um, not going to um, think like you or be, uh, some people are jealous of your success. Um, when that happens, you ditch them. You stay with the people that if you were to call your friend and say, oh, I've got a number one and your friend's car is broke down and he's living out in the country, and that friend goes, good for you. I'm happy for you. Yeah. You need those type of friends. Now, they are rare. And uh, you can have acquaintances that will get you work. Um, but those friends are rare. And by this time, I've got those friends. And there's your support group. Um, no matter what comes at you, stay focused on your target, whatever that is. And, and then enjoy life. You know, don't let your art eat you. Um, I've seen that too. Super talented people that they just couldn't socially hold it together because they only thought of themselves as that and if that identity went away then they lost themselves they would yeah they would lose themselves um, so you have to temper that the better you are the more you have to temper it because you have to be uh, you have to be humble as well no matter how good you get you never stop being humble because that's affecting that's the, the blue collar that's mentality. the blue collar, and that's the generation coming up behind you, your generation. Yeah. Um, uh, my friend Tommy, what, early 30s, I mean, so I'm affecting people in their 40s, 30s, and 20s, and sometimes in their teens. When I'm out playing, even if I don't know them, they're watching on the way I put things in context. They're, make, uh, they're watching the way that I'm in tune. Yep. The way, the way I interact with a band, the way I lead a band, they're watching because I watched Gary Nicholson, I watched Lyle Lovett, I watched these people uh, coming along that I loved and how they ran things. And as guitar players, oh my goodness, there's so many great guitar players here. There is. And I tell young players too, don't be intimidated. You know, don't be afraid if you get out there and you're watching one of the best people in the world. Because what you're going to do is the BB King concept, is that you will find your play, you will find what you do well, and you'll refine it, you'll polish it, you'll be good. You'll play with people who love what you do. Yes. They're not expecting you to be Jocko, you know? Yeah, it's that, you that they want to hear. It's yes. you that the people want to hear. That's right, and then you're solid and you're, and you're comfortable in your skin, and that feeds confidence, and that confidence radiates around you. Um, I've noticed that a lot. If, you, if you're around positive thinking people, you'll be positive. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how simple that sounds. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great note to end it on. Okay. I appreciate you uh, coming over today and kind of sharing, uh, sharing with us and the, and the listeners. Um, so uh, thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.